Good morning again, everyone. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. Love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody that's connecting with us online, I know we've got a lot of people connecting there. We're glad that you can be a part of our fellowship today, connecting online. We are excited to continue our series today that we started last week uh, called Breaking Bad Habits. Before we get to the message today, I wanted us to have a, a word of prayer together. I know there are a couple of things in particular I wanted to mention. I know you have prayer needs personally as well that you can be lifting up. Uh, we have a group that's been at TCTC. We just sent our high schoolers this weekend to Gatlinburg for that uh, Tennessee Christian Teen Convention. They have had a great uh, convention. Uh, it's had a great impact. We want to pray as they travel back today that they have safe travels back and that God continues to use the teaching and the, and the fellowship and everything that he did during that convention, that he will continue to work in our young people's lives. And we're so thankful for our sponsors and staff that help with that. And we also want to be lifting up another member here at Lakeshore that's lost a loved one, Leslie uh, Grogan-Rose. Her father passed away yesterday, so be praying for Leslie and her family, if you would. I know there are other needs. Let's all go to God in prayer together. Father, we're thankful that we could come to you right now and, and lift up those needs that we know about. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayers, for being the faithful, compassionate Father that you are. Father, we lift up those that are grieving the loss of someone they love, those that are struggling with illness right now, uh, those that might be traveling. We pray for safety. Uh, we thank you, Father, for, for how you work in all things for the good of those who love you. And we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a, a husband that was very impressed with his wife's ability to control her anger. And he decided to ask her about how, how in the world she could do that. So he said, honey, uh, I'm just always amazed. We get into these heated arguments and you never get angry. You never get, get, uh, lose control. Uh, how do you do it? She said, well, every time I start to get angry, I go clean the toilet. He said, I, I don't get it. Cleaning the toilet doesn't help me in any way. I don't like cleaning the toilet. How does cleaning the toilet help you control your anger toward me? She said, well, I always use your toothbrush. <laughs> in this series, we're talking about breaking bad habits and anger. Last week, we talked about pride and how pride can, can be a problem. And these two are closely connected a lot of times. Your pride can lead to a lot of anger. If it's self-centered pride, it gets out of control. It can lead you to get angry about things. But anger is something all of us have to come face to face with and struggle with from time to time. We all have things that stir up in us some anger. And that's not all bad, by the way. There, there is uh, in Scripture some examples of, of God's anger, of Jesus being angry about the money changers at the temple. I mean, there are different examples of, of anger, but the Scripture is clear that it can be a problem. In fact, recent surveys have shown that anger is a growing problem in our culture. You talk about a pandemic. I know we're dealing with a health pandemic, but anger has become a pandemic in our country and around the world. It is something that people are, are beginning to not control well. It's getting to the point that you, you sometimes are afraid to even look people in the eye when, when they may not like something that's going on because you're afraid of what they might do, what their response might be. 
Uh, recently, Pew Research Center did a survey in our country, and it said, do you believe we have an anger problem in America? 95% of the respondents said yes. We believe anger is a problem in our country. They asked, do you think it's worse than ever in your lifetime? 74% said, I think it's worse than we've ever seen it before. They asked a third question. Has this problem reached a crisis level in your opinion? 70% said they believe the anger problem in America has reached a crisis level. Now that survey was done just before the pandemic hit. Most people believe that during the pandemic, the problem has only gotten worse. I mean, we've added, even before the pandemic, we started using terms that we had never used that much before, maybe never before, not too long ago, terms like road rage, right? You never heard anybody talk about road rage until recent history. And the latest statistics on road rage during the pandemic shows that there's been a spike in road rage, road rage accident, uh, incidents that have been reported uh, to the police department, the state patrol, and places like that. They've called in road rage incidents at a higher rate than they've ever measured before. And it's not just road rage, right? That, that idea of road rage, uh, the similar things to that, we've seen an increase in as well. Checkout line rage, right? You're waiting in line to get checked out at a store, and people are losing their tempers like never before. Now, there have always been lines. There's always been waiting. But now the anger is boiling over, and people are acting on it in greater numbers than ever before. And it's not just checkout rage, it's uh, customer service rage. Uh, how many in here are customer service representatives for your company or business? I, I pray for you. The people you get on the phone, the people that come to your desk if you're doing it in person, are angry and they're expressing that anger in stronger ways on average than we've ever seen before. We've even seen more and more reports of airline passenger rage, right? People on airplanes losing their temper. Flight attendants are asking for combat pay now. That's funny, but not funny. That's the truth. Because they've been attacked simply for trying to enforce rules that they didn't make themselves. They're just trying to do their jobs, right? Teachers are dealing with angry students in higher numbers than ever before in the classroom. Some of them being threatened, some of them being physically attacked in the classrooms. There's social media rage. People seem to be a lot more bold online than they might be in person. And so they jump on the attack online. There's been rage against churches recently like we've never seen before, against church leaders like we've never seen before, anger toward church leaders. You open too soon, you're trying to kill everybody. You didn't open, you don't have any faith, right? No matter what direction a church went, no, uh, no matter what program you did or didn't do uh, during the time of the pandemic, they were upset, they were mad if you didn't do what they wanted you to do, and they were mad if you did something they didn't think you should do more anger expressed, even in the church family, than we've ever seen before, in our lifetimes at least. So I think this is definitely one of those habits 
that even if you've got it under control right now or you think you do, this thing is building, friends. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And so we all need to learn, what does God say about this? How does God say we need to do this, work on this, deal with this feeling of anger that we all have from time to time? Uh, because you don't want to let it get to that place that you respond in anger in a way that you can't get back and you regret. You may regret it for the rest of your life. A life has been taken in anger uh, person's been hurt, a relationship has been severed because of angry responses. You can't get those back. So we need to learn on the front end, what are some steps we can take to deal with this according to God's word of scripture. Now I said last week, and I want to remind you, as we go through these steps, they're all biblical scriptural steps that we're going to share. And I'm going to give you some passages to, to go along with each step in the Bible, but I want you to know uh, these, these passages, we don't have time to look at the whole context of every one of these verses in a sermon on a Sunday, so I want you to, to take your outlines with you or make notes and, and go back and read these for yourself. We also, each week, are including notes for further study. We've got those on your outline if you're at one of our campuses. If you're listening online, we've posted those on our website. Just go to lakeshorechristian.com. You can click on that graphic that says at home study notes. We've got notes there for you to do some study during the week because I want you to go deeper with this during the week as a part of your ongoing growth and Bible study. So we're going to look at five steps to control anger in our lives that we see in scripture that are clearly taught in scripture. The first step is this, confess it. It's the first step for every one of these habits. If we're going to be transformed, that's what this series is about, right? Breaking bad habits, changing our lives, changing the way we act and talk and behave. That's a transformation. If we're going to be transformed, it's by the renewing of our mind. And the first place we've got to start in our mind is admitting we've got a struggle with these things. And if we don't struggle with it immediately right now, then there's a potential we know in the flesh we could struggle with these things moving forward. Or we know people, and some of you are very quick to point out others that you know that struggle with these things. Uh, maybe you can help them some with some of this too, if you know people that are truly struggling in these areas. So we're going to talk about five steps to controlling anger, and confessing it is the beginning place, admitting that there is a problem. I love this passage in Proverbs, Proverbs 28 and verse 13. It says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds what? Mercy. So that's the starting place, not just with anger, but with any sinful activity or thoughts that we're struggling with. The first step is to confess it because here's the thing about God. We think God is just waiting to punish us, but what God is waiting to do is extend mercy to us. That's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of father he is. So we should never hesitate to go to him with confessing our sins. It's the right step to take with every sinful activity that we might be struggling with. So with anger, it's the same thing. Let's go to God. Let's, let's confess this to God. God, my anger sometimes is getting the best of me. And you maybe think it's not, but have you gotten a little more aggressive in your driving? 
You know, have people made you mad because they were going too slow or too fast or they cut you off and you lost your temper a little bit there? Have you intentionally, when someone cut you off and tried to get ahead of you, just really rejoiced that you pulled up at the same traffic light together at the same time? (laughs) That makes me feel good every single time that that happens. That may be an indication there's a little bit of anger there going on, right? A little bit of resentment there or you wouldn't be so happy about that when it happens. We all have this tendency to struggle with anger. So let's confess that this can be a struggle. Let's confess maybe even when we're not letting it get out of control, that we're not responding well to other people when they let it get out of control, when they are projecting it on us, right? Their anger on us. The way we respond to that can make a big difference too. I don't recommend cleaning the toilet with their toothbrush, but there are some steps that you can take to help you respond well to anger. And the first step is confessing it to God. Well, let's move on. Second step. You've probably heard this taught in different ways, but it's the same thing. Delay your response while you're angry. Delay your response. You may have heard it this way as a kid. Take a deep breath and count to 10, right? Well, that's not a bad thing, honestly. That's a pretty good thing to do. Sometimes it's going to be a lot more than 10, though, right? I know you didn't think you're going to have to do math today either, but still, you could go past 10. It may take 20. It may take a lot longer than that. Just keep counting as you work through letting that subside a little bit. In James, it tells us a great reminder of this. It's the same exact principle involved here. In James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become what? Quick to listen. We talked about that last week with our pride, but it also helps us with our anger. We need to be quick to listen, but we also need to be slow to speak, which means when we're angry, should we immediately just blurt out the first thing that comes to our minds? Absolutely not. Should we immediately send out that email response, that text response that came to our mind right away in our anger? I'll confess this to you. I have had to hit delete, 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 delete a bunch of times when I've typed up a response or a text response or an email response because the Holy Spirit said, Randy, you don't need to send that. That's not godly. Even if you weren't the pastor, you shouldn't do that, right? The Holy Spirit can convict us when we're trying to do If we stop long enough, if we slow down enough, the Holy Spirit can work on us, bring us back to where we need to be. Now, he didn't stop there. He said, uh, this is the reason, verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger is different than God's righteous anger. He's talking about fleshly anger, where you're only responding from a fleshly viewpoint. It's it's a response of the flesh, not of the spirit. That kind of anger does not bring about the good things, the right things that God desires in our lives. Anybody that's being controlled by anger is not doing the good stuff God wants them to do, period. It's that simple and that clear in Scripture. 
If you're letting your anger control you, you are never going to be living in a right way before God. That's how serious this problem is. So we have to take some steps. I hear people make excuses all the time. I'm going to do a lesson on excuses too. But I hear people make excuses all the time. That's just who I am. That's how God made me. That's what I hear a lot of times. That's just how God made me. Then why does he say be transformed? Why does he command us to be transformed? If that's just the way we are. You see, let's stop making the excuse that that's just the way we are. You don't have to be an angry person. You choose to be an angry person. You can be changed by God, the power of God, the work of God in your heart and in your life. That anger can be brought under the control of God so that you don't respond in a way that's not right with God, in a way that does not accomplish the right things God wants you to accomplish. There's a little bit longer uh, passage on that in the book of Ephesians. If you want to look there, uh, it's, it's a great passage in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 26. Paul is teaching Christ followers this lesson. In your anger, do not sin. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment because what does Paul assume you're going to have? Anger. He assumes that everybody, every Christ follower, is going to have some anger. So he's saying, in your anger, do not sin, which means anger itself is not a what? It's not a sin. That is part of how God made us, to get angry about certain things. There are things that ought to anger us, because they anger God. God's talked about them in his word. God God gets angry when people hurt other people, innocent people. He gets angry, he, he gets angry at uh, injustices that are done. He, he gets angered by people who don't honor him and honor their, their vows in marriage. He gets angry about those things. But it doesn't cause him to sin. Jesus got angry about those things, but he didn't cause him to sin. You may have seen the meme. It's a really good reminder. Jesus did sit with sinners, but he did not sin with sinners. There's a big difference in those two things. We're not supposed to just give in to the sin because Jesus loved sinners and sat with sinners and ate with sinners. He did all of that without sinning with the sinners. And that's what he's calling us to do. So when it comes to anger, we're going to get angry sometimes. Sometimes we should be angry about some things that are going on, but we shouldn't be angry in a way that leads us to do sinful things as a response to that anger. So he goes on here. Let's look at it. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Sue Ann and I have tried to do this in our marriage. We've been pretty good at it, not going to bed angry at night. Uh, sometimes, you know, we've stayed up, you know, 48 hours at a time, but... <laughs> We're still a work in progress, right? We're still working on this. Now, I don't think he's meaning literally you can't go to sleep, but he's saying it's better to get things resolved as quickly as you possibly can, right? Don't let it linger. Don't let it fester. Uh, you know, letting it fester doesn't help. So try to go ahead and deal with it. Take the steps you need to take to do it in the right way as quickly as you can, okay? So he goes on, all right? He says, do not give the devil a foothold. 
You say, that's what happens when you let your anger fester, when you, when you harbor it, when you, when you keep feeding it. You're giving the devil a foothold. You know what a foothold is? Any of you remember the door-to-door salesman? They don't do that very much anymore. You remember what a door-to-door salesman would do? When you would, they would come to the door and say, I would like to demonstrate this vacuum cleaner for you. It's a great deal. They make your life better. And you go to close the door. What do they do? Stick their foot down at the bottom of the door so when it closes, it hits their foot. It won't close all the way. That's, the, that's kind of the image that he's talking about here. Don't give the devil that little foothold because there's an opening for him there when you do that. To use that against you. To get you to do something in anger that you shouldn't be doing. So don't, don't, don't allow Satan to have that foothold. All right? He says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. Uh, but must work doing something useful in their, with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Well, he's talking about things that anger produces here, okay? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Mm. Instead, well, let's look at... I'll go back to verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. In other words, turn it to something good. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed with a day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He's talking about transformation of life. Living differently than the rest of the world lives. See, Christians are supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be different. I know other people just give in to their anger. They act on their anger. They do harmful things when they're angry. But Christians are supposed to be different. Christ followers are supposed to live a transformed life, a different kind of life. We're not supposed to just say, well, that's just who I am. That's just the way God made me. No. We're supposed to let God work in us and through us to change the way we respond. So delaying your response would allow you and allow God to do his work on you so that your response is going to be something different. It won't be out of rage. It won't be out of bitterness. It won't be done out of, out of a, a quick knee-jerk reaction that just leaves destruction in its wake. You know people that are angry people in your contacts of people in your life who just leave a wake of destruction everywhere they go. They're always hurting other people. They're always causing hurt feelings, hurt lives. They're always hurting their relationship with everybody. Nobody wants to be around people like that. Nobody wants to have them influencing them if you're trying to live a good life. God is saying, I don't want any of my people to be in that category. I don't want anybody identified with Christ to be in that category. You don't need to live your life like that. Instead, you need to live a spirit-led life, not an anger-led life. Well, the third step is this. He talks about it here. Instead of doing those bad things out of anger, we need to harness it for good. We need to harness our anger 
for good. We say, well, Pastor Andy, what are you talking about there? Well, let's look at another proverb, Proverbs 29, verse 11. It says this, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. So if we just let our anger and rage control us, then that's what a fool would do. You're giving vent to your rage. I've heard people make this excuse too. Well, it's unhealthy to hold in your anger. That's true. It's also unhealthy to use it to destroy other people. That's not healthy either. So how do we take it and not hold it in, but use it for something good instead of destructive things? Well, there's a way to do that. There's a way to take this emotion that God created us to have and use it to even bring calm in the end instead of destruction. To bring something better to the results of what you did than something destructive because of what you did. That you made the world better because of how you responded and used your anger in the right way. One of the things that I have to remind myself over and over again of in responding and not responding in an anger that is ungodly is, is a verse that we use a lot of times that don't connect it to this, but it's Romans 8, 28. A lot of you may know that verse, okay? Here's what it says. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In what things? What about the things that make you mad? Can God use those for some good things too? Yeah. The things that make you angry, can God use those? for some good things, to prompt good things in your life and in the life of others through you? Yes. How many of you are familiar with the organization MADD, M-A-D-D? Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You know how it got started? Moms were angry and brokenhearted over the death of their children at the hands of a drunk driver. They were angry. They talked about it. You can go back and read their testimony they were so angry and they wanted to do something to make a difference. Their anger drove them to start an organization, to start a cause, to start an effort that would help bring attention to this problem and hopefully keep some people from getting out there on the roads drinking and driving. And it has had some success. It has made a difference in a very good way. They've also helped minister to parents who've lost children because of drunk drivers as a part of their ministry too. They didn't just fight against the drunk driving. They also made the effort to minister to those who had suffered loss. You see, they took their anger and God didn't want their children to get... See, this, here's the mistake we make with this passage, that God works all things together for good, it says for the good of those who love him. It doesn't say he made those things happen or that he even wanted those things to happen. It's saying something about God that is so amazing and so powerful. And here it is. He's so powerful and so amazing and so loving and so compassionate that if you let him, he can take that hurt and that pain and that anger and work in you and through you with that to bring you to this place that you can do some good even with that. It's amazing transformation that can happen by the power of God. 
I don't think for a minute God wanted your child to die. I don't think for a minute he wanted your loved one to get cancer. I don't think for a minute he wanted that tragic accident to occur that left someone paralyzed. I don't think for a minute God wants any of those things. But I do know in every one of those cases, I've seen it again and again and again, God can take that and that experience that you've gone through, even the pain and the hurt and the anger, and use it for some good things. We've got a member here that I love so much, his spirit and his attitude, who was injured in a car accident several years back, paralyzed from the waist down, still comes to church in his wheelchair quite often, uh, came to the car show, brought one car up, still drives. He's got all the equipment, still drives. Went back home and got his other car and drove it back up here too for the car show last Father's Day. And almost every single day on social media, he's posting positive, encouraging things to other people after going through that tragedy. He said, yeah, pastor, I was angry when it happened. But God did a miraculous work of transformation in me, and I can now use that to help some other people going through some junk in their lives, too. Man, he's ministering to so many people now. He never would have had that opportunity. God didn't want that accident to happen. But he never would have been able to impact some of the people he's impacting now had that never happened. You see, God can take these things that make us angry, and if we let them have us and transform us, even that anger can be used for some good things. So let's look for that in the moments of our anger. How can God take this and use it? How can I make a positive impact and how I respond to this? If you slow down long enough and don't respond too quickly, God will show you how he can do some good things, even with those hard things. Leads to the fourth thing that is really one of the cores of a lot of our anger. That is learn to practice forgiveness. Practice forgiveness. I love Colossians 1, verse 13. I mean, Colossians 3, verse 13. <laughs> I say that about all passages because they're all great. Except some of those, you know, sections and numbers and Deuteronomy, you know, some of those are, but no, they're all good. They're all, <laughs> we need them all, all right? They're just not easy to read, right? Here's the thing. Colossians 3, 13. Bear with each other. Now, I've talked about this before, but you know what that means? Put up with each other. Sometimes we just have to learn to put up with each other. The faults, the, the flaws, the things that get us upset, the things that make us angry, we got to learn to bear with one another. Put up with each other. Because if we're going to have any relationships in this world, there are going to be some things in that person's life that are not ideally what you would want them to be. If you're thinking about getting married, you need to consider that. You're going to commit to them for life. There are going to be things in their life that aren't ideal to you. And, you know, I, I didn't know before we got married, my wife sleeps on 80% of the bed at least, right? <laughs> I live life on the edge every night. Literally, I'm hanging off the edge in my bed. But you know what? I've learned to like that. I like living life on the edge. I can't, when I am traveling by myself and have a king-sized bed in my hotel room, you know where I sleep? On the edge. 
My wife sleeps diagonally. I sleep vertically on the edge, or horizontally, I should say, I guess, on the edge, right? There's always going to be some things. And he says, we've got to learn to bear with each other. And then he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, and he adds this, man, this is the kicker, isn't it? This is the thing that removes all the excuses. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the kicker. How many of you are dependent on grace and forgiveness from God? Every one of us. Every one of us. On your best days, what are you still fully dependent on? The grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Even when you think you've got your act together, by the way, you don't. But even when you think you do, you still need grace and forgiveness and mercy just as much that day as you do any other day. And that's why we've got to learn to be transformed by God because this is not by nature in the flesh the way we would respond, is it? But that's the way God has responded to us. And he says, I want you to forgive the way I forgive you. And he's not just saying that's my suggestion for you. That's his command for you. That's his command for me. We've all been hurt. We've all had unfair things, unjust things happen to us in our lives. I don't know anybody that hasn't had some of that if they've lived to be adults now. And some of them, it, didn't even, it was long before they became adults. As kids, they had very unjust things happen in their lives. We all have to deal with this. And that's why we've got to learn to practice forgiveness. I say practice forgiveness because here's the thing about forgiveness. You do have to practice it because even when you do it this time, guess what you got to do again? You got to forgive again and again. But how does God forgive us? Over and over and over. That's why you got to keep practicing this. You got to keep working on it every day. So learn to practice forgiveness. I love the example of Jesus in Luke 23 and verse 34. He's hanging on the cross, right? They, they're nailing him to a cross. They're, they're spitting on him. They're, they're ridiculing him as he hangs on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Even then they divided up his clothes by casting. They gambled for his clothes while he was hanging on the cross. And still he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You talk about a great example of forgiveness. Jesus is the greatest example. And he says, I want you to forgive others the way I forgive you. Even when it causes you to have to sacrifice to do it. I want you to be willing to do it. That's how we represent Jesus well in the world. Instead of responding in anger, we respond with forgiveness. Now, here's the thing people misunderstand about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean saying that what they did was okay, that it's all right for them to keep doing that. That's not what forgiveness means. Jesus never taught you or me in his word, I forgive you for committing adultery, so don't worry about committing it in the future. That's not what he says, is it? He says, now, like the woman caught in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. But he added something. Now, go and sin no more. Forgiveness doesn't mean you're saying to the person it's okay to keep doing the wrong things, the bad things, the evil. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness also doesn't mean you have to be 
unwilling to speak out when wrong things are going on and continuing to happen. But you don't do it out of an anger response where you do something destructive instead of something positive, right? You try to respond in a way that's going to bring it to a better place instead of a place that's going to bring more harm to the people around you. Sometimes out of anger, you think revenge is the best thing. One of the most popular country songs uh, just a couple of years ago was a woman who got cheated on and went and tore up the, the guy's truck, right? And people just love that. They, oh, that's great. Go slash his tires and bust out his way. You know, hit it with the Louisville Slugger and tear it up. Well, yeah, that really accomplished a lot, didn't it? You really made it better, didn't you? No. You only made it worse. That's not godly response to being angry. You've got to learn to have forgiveness. It doesn't mean you let them keep doing that to you, but you forgive and move on. The Bible does say that vengeance is the Lord's, not ours. We can allow him. He, he's better at it than we are anyway. Let's let him have that. We don't have to get the vengeance ourselves. And I want to close with this last one here. That's the best one to close on, right? The last one. <laughs> I love it when speakers say that. That's why I threw it out there. I want to close with this last one. Yeah, well, well, that's the only one you can close on is the last one. Okay, here we go. Number five. It's really could have been at the first because it's the foundation for the rest. But I wanted to put it at the end as a reminder before we leave the room today, before you disconnect online there. Seek God's help with this. Every one of us needs to seek God's help with this. This is something we're not equipped to handle on our own. We're just not. One of the mistakes we make is we allow some other people in our, our social circle that are angry people that don't handle anger well, and we let them have more place in our lives and input in our lives than we ought to. We don't go to the right source of help with our anger. We allow ourselves to be around the things that don't help. Proverbs twenty two twenty four 24, it says this. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Wow. It doesn't mean you don't try to help that person get out of that if they are ready and willing to do that. But until they're ready to do that, you don't need to be really close with a person like that because it's only going to bring harm to you and others around you to be around that kind of anger. Instead, there's, a step, there's some steps we could take to seek God's help. There's a passage in Philippians that I'll close with. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. In Philippians 4, 4 through 9, we find this verse, this section of Scripture that we often use to talk about prayer or talk about peace, and it does talk about that. But I, I think it's directly related to our anger. Listen to the words again. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Does that sound like an angry person to you? No. Does it say things are always going to be good? No. Does it say that you're always going to have everything the way you want it and then you can rejoice? No. When does he say to rejoice? All right. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again just in case you missed it the first time. For the people in the back, rejoice. Let your gentleness, oh, gentleness, be evident to all. Does that sound like an angry person to you? No. Your gentleness. See, gentleness is not weakness. Guys especially, I want you to hear this. Women too. Gentleness is not weakness. It takes great strength to be gentle when you're angry, doesn't it? 
But that's when you need gentleness the most, isn't it? It's when you're angry. He goes on. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I'm glad he threw that one in there. We need that reminder, don't we? Sometimes in the heat of the moment, we're not even thinking about God being around. We're not thinking about God watching. We're not thinking about God listening while we're doing what we're doing in our anger. But he's right there. And that word near means not only near present with us at the moment, but his coming is near. His coming is near. The Lord's coming. He's, he, he's, he's right there ready, set, ready to come right now. How do you want to be acting and behaving when the Lord appears? He's near. He's close. How do you want to be seen and heard by the God who is near? Do not be, he says, anxious about anything. The reason I think this verse applies to anger is because the word anxious is more than just worried. It's worried with the idea of frustration over it. So if we're worried and frustrated, what does that lead us to? Anger. If we don't handle it well, if we don't do the right things with it, it leads to anger every time. So he says, instead of being anxious about things, in every situation, what do we need to do? By prayer and petition. Whoa. Don't respond yet. Take some time to do what first? Pray. Petition God on your behalf and on behalf of the people that you're angry with. Through prayer and petition with, oh, what's that word? Man, I got to give thanks. I'm angry right now, God. I can't stop and give thanks right now. I'm angry. I got to deal with my anger. What's one of the best steps you could take to deal with your anger? Start giving what? Thanks. Start expressing gratitude. One of the best things you can do when you're angry is to stop long enough to remember the things you have to be thankful for even though you're angry right now. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, he doesn't say, all right, stop with that. Just give thanks. He says, but go ahead and present your request to him too. In the middle of all of that, be presenting your request to God. God, I'm so angry. It's okay to tell God you're angry. Guess what? He already knew it. He's not surprised by it. He, already, he made you so that you have anger responses. He created you, knit you together in your mother's womb, and you have anger responses as a part of the way you're made. It's part of the way God's made, and God, we are created in his image. But let's deal with what we need to do with our anger now. God, I'm so mad. This person did this. This happened to me. This is so unfair. He, he can handle it. Talk to him. Tell him those things. You know what it doesn't do? It doesn't change his love for you one little bit for you to tell him how angry you are, for you to just be honest and open and express it to him. But go to him with it instead of the person you're just going to vomit it out on and just destroy their lives. Go to God with it. Let him handle it. He can handle it better than that person we might destroy when we take it to them. Talk to God. Spend some time with him in prayer. It says, here's the response that's going to happen. Verse 7, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the opposite of anger? It's not happiness. You know what it is? Peace. This kind of peace, the peace of God, it's the opposite of anger. It's the absence of anger. It's the calming down and removing of the anger that brings you to the place of peace again. Take it to him first. Get his help 
with your anger first. Well, he gives us another step to take in verse 8. Sometimes we don't connect that next verse, but it's another step to take very quickly. Here's what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whoa, wait a minute. I don't need to listen to that talk radio guy that's just stirring me up and making me mad. No, you don't. You need to turn that off. If it's just making you mad. I don't need to get into that discussion on Facebook where somebody said something I don't like. No, you don't need to correct them on Facebook. I don't need to yell at my spouse because once again, they've not done something I wanted them to do and start with just yelling at them about it. No, that's not where you need to start. You need to go to God first. And you need to get focused on some good things. What do you spend most of your time listening to? Some of the music people listen to is angry. I mean, it's just angry. Some of the things you watch on television or movies that you go to see, it's just anger being expressed. Some of the video games our kids play, young adults play, it's just expressing anger, just shooting people and cutting people up and destroying buildings. And it's just expressions of anger. That's all it is. Think about this. How are we transformed by what? Renewing of our minds. If we're putting that garbage in our minds over and over and over again, your mind is going to be transformed, but not for the better. It's going to be transformed to become more and more angry. There's no way to prove it completely, but many of the most violent things people have done in anger have been triggered by what they've been putting in their minds leading up to that action that they just took. They've been watching things and reading things and listening to things that just kept stirring up the anger and making it worse until they finally acted on it. Sometimes these people had never done anything violent before had never expressed that kind of anger before, but it just builds up and your mind gets changed by what you put in it. So instead of putting that junk in your mind, he says, do this instead. Whatever is true. By the way, you could just eliminate social media if you just follow that one a lot of times. Okay, a lot of it. Whatever's true. Whatever's noble. Whatever's right. You can eliminate a lot of news sources that way. Almost all of them on both sides of this aisle, right? They're, not, they're giving you their slant, their version, their twist on the truth, not necessarily what's really true. All of them do that. I don't mean you should never watch news. I mean, you got to decide, is this making me angry or is it helping me know better ways to do things? Is it leading me to something better, right? So whatever is right, whatever is pure, whoa, wait a minute, pure, lovely, admirable. If it's excellent or praiseworthy, those are the things I need to be thinking about. Those are the things I need to be putting in my mind. And the best source of those things is right here. It's God's word. How much of this are you putting in your mind? every day compared to how much time you're listening to the news or that talk radio show or on social media arguing with people or doing those other things that get you all riled up and stirred up to be angry about life friends this is healing it's restorative it's it's comforting it's blessing think about those things 
Paul said, whatever you've learned or received or heard from uh, me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. God wants us all to grow to the point that we could say that to anybody and say to them, you having an anger problem? Well, watch me. If you do what I'm doing, you won't have this problem. It'll, It'll be transformed. It'll be changed. If you just watch me and what I've been doing, how I'm doing it, you can learn to do this too. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God of peace and comfort and blessing. Help us to remember today that your will is always going to be best. So as we struggle with this habit of anger, help us, Father, to know that that when we read these things in your word, they're not just there as a suggestion or a guideline. They are you talking to us, teaching us how we can be changed for the better. I pray for all of us that we could continue this work of transformation, of change that you want to bring about in our lives. Help us to become more like Jesus who set that great example for us when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Help us learn to be forgiving, caring, and help us channel our anger to the good and right things you want us to do. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.